Luke chapter 21, verse number 1, the Bible says, And he looked up and saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. And he said, Of a truth I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. For all these have of their abundance cast in unto the offerings of God. But she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. Let's pray together. Father, we love you tonight. Thank you for letting us gather in this place. Lord, I don't take for granted the fact that we got to come here in this place and and be around people that love us and, and that we love and most of all that love you, Lord, and that have a desire to see your will done in our lives. And we're just we're we have everything we need tonight for heaven to do a work in us. Lord, we have the word of God inspired, inerrant, infallible and perfectly preserved for us. We have the Holy Ghost of God that's ministering and working amongst these pews and in the hearts of these people. We have, Lord, uh, the, the willingness to come before you tonight and to hear your word. And Lord, there's just everything we could need tonight uh, for you to work in us is present here. So give us willing hearts. May we be uh, attentive hearers of the word of God and doers of the word of God. And may we be willing to receive that which you've prepared for us. Lord, I pray for these requests that have been given tonight. We've read all of them out loud. But, Lord, even if we hadn't read one, you'd still already know them. Lord, even if we hadn't written them, you'd already know them. But in obedience to the command of Scripture, we have brought these things before you tonight. Lord, we've spoken them into your ears, and we've asked for your will to be done in these matters. So I pray, Lord, for those that need to be saved, that you'd convict them, show them their loss, that they'd be born again. Physical needs, Lord, pray that you would touch the body. Lord, whether it's through medicine, through miracle, Lord, whatever means you may choose, I pray that you would minister healing in those that are facing physical challenges. Lord, I pray for financial needs. <laughs> Lord, you're, you're, you're the God of many treasures. God, you own the cattle on a thousand hill. And there, there's, there's nothing we could be facing that'd be a challenge to you. Lord, I pray for the spiritual, for the emotional, for the financial and physical needs of each and every person that's mentioned on those cards. Give us, Lord, the petitions of our heart in as much as they please you. And I pray that tonight, Lord, we would please you. We'd please you in the listening. We'd please you in the preaching, Lord, and we'd please you in the response to your precious word. Lord, we love you, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. I want to take a few moments tonight and look at this very short episode in the life of the Lord Jesus. It would pay us to understand a little bit about where Christ is at in this moment. Now, I don't merely mean his physical location. We know, of course, where he is. He's at the temple. We know that because he's casting. These people are casting into the temple treasury. But if you study the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus, you find that he is at a crucial moment in his earthly ministry. He has been speaking in the prior chapter boldly to the Pharisees. He has been offending people left and right. He's been proclaiming boldly their sin and their hypocrisy and their corruption. Uh, he has literally some that are sharpening knives to put one in his back. And at the same time, there's some that are gathering and pressing in around him because they see him for who and what he really is. He's standing on the precipice of the cross of Calvary. He is in 
in Jerusalem for the last time prior to that day when he died for our sins. He has come to Jerusalem. He has come literally to die so that men might live. And he sits here in the temple, particularly if you read the chapter leading up to it. It ends with him enraging the Pharisees. And immediately afterwards, he, rather than fussing, rather than arguing, rather than railing against them, he just sits down and with calm, divine repose, begins to watch men as they come and cast their gifts into the treasury. You can imagine the seething anger that the Pharisees must have felt. You can imagine as Christ has so far gotten the last word that they're sitting there literally like a pot getting ready to boil over, angry and filled with wrath and rage at him. And he merely begins to comment upon the actions of this little widow woman. He makes a statement in verse number four. I want you to notice it with me. The Bible says, for all these have of their abundance cast in under the offerings of God. But she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. Now think about it for a moment. All eyes are on Jesus in this moment. But Jesus' eyes are not on them. Rather, he's looking at this little widow woman. In this moment, they are enraged, inflamed, angry, furious at him. And rather than continuing to berate them for their hypocrisy, he merely looks at that sweet little woman and says, you know, at the end of the day, this woman is more spiritual than any of the rest of you. There's probably no more enraging thing he could have said than what he said when he pointed out this woman's faithfulness. What he's doing is laying in stark juxtaposition the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the religious ruling elite alongside the sincere sacrifice and submission of this woman. He's wanting to point out their fake religion by pointing to her true religion. And he's wanting them to understand that the reason that they fundamentally misunderstand him is because they fundamentally misunderstand God and God's economy of value. Can I tell you something? The world will look a lot different when we begin to appreciate the things God appreciates and when we begin to value the things that God values. A, a, a great much, I was talking to somebody the other day, I guess it was the preacher on a, on, on Saturday morning after the men's breakfast, and I, I, I walked by and uh, he was talking to Brandon. And normally Brandon, when he's talking to people, they're just having, uh, you know, worldly carnal conversations. But I happen to notice him talking about Bible, and so it got my attention. And I, I guess because the preacher was there talking to him. And the preacher was talking about just, you know, sort of the, the shallowness of modern superficial Christianity and, and just, you know, how broken Christianity in the West is. And I stopped him and I, I made this comment to him. It's a thought that's occurred to me pretty frequently. Christianity is overbuilt for the world you and I live in. So what do you mean by that, preacher? I mean this, that Christianity was built for a suffering people. Christianity was built for a separated people. Christianity was built for a sojourning people. And not for a sensual, sinful, and earthly people. And I looked at him and I said, you know, it's funny because so often people will say, well, there's nothing in the Bible that's relevant to my life. And we immediately want to jump and say, well, no, 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 that's not true. But we probably shouldn't answer that way. Probably the more appropriate thing to say when someone looks at us and says, there's nothing in the Bible that's relevant to my life. If they're a Christian is to look at them and say, yeah, that's probably true. That's probably true. If you're living for self, there's not much in this book that's relevant for you. 
if you're living in this plugged into this world system and its economy and its values, there's not much in this book that's relevant to you. You see, as a believer, it is only as we consecrate ourselves unto Christ that the word of God begins to grow vibrant. Don't you know it's true in your life that there have been varying degrees of dedication and consecration that you've had. And the closer you've been to Christ, the more you've treasured his book. You know why that is? Because it was more relevant to you. Uh, the Bible says, yea, all they that... I've got a message out of Luke 21 here in a second. We'll get to it. The Bible says, yea, and all they that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, you don't need that if you're not living godly in Christ Jesus. Right? You with me tonight? You understand what I'm saying? I'm saying if we're not living a Christian life, much of the Bible's not going to be relevant to us. And a great much of what the Apostle Paul in the New Testament wrote about concerning the suffering of God's people and the separation from the world, because we're unwilling to separate and we're unwilling to suffer, it rings hollow to us. You see, we don't value the things that God values, and therefore we see no value in the things that God offers us. Whenever Christ points out this widow woman... His purpose is to say, you, you've fundamentally misunderstood me because you fundamentally misunderstood what God values. You think God values gold because the temple's adorned with gold, but that's not true. He's saying, you think that God values position or authority or power because the high priest has position, authority, and power, but that's not true. He's saying, you have missed what all of this is about. So much so that when I see these men coming and out of their abundance casting things in the temple that literally mean more to them than God does and what they're casting in don't mean much to them in the first place. And then he points to this widow woman who's casting in something precious, something that will be missed, something that is integral to her daily life. And yet in doing so, she's trying to give God a place of esteem in her life. She says this one, or he says this woman gets it. She understands what this is all about. I want to preach to you on this thought tonight. Plenty out of poverty. Your Bible uses that term penury and that's what it means. Poverty. In other words, this was not a wealthy widow woman. This was not somebody of means. This was not somebody of resources. But this is somebody that the Bible tells us is literally giving the last little bit that she has and what she's given ain't much in the world's eyes. But it caught the attention of the Son of God so much so that it drew his attention away from those with bigger purses, with fatter wallets, to her that he might brag on her love for the Lord. I want you to notice three thoughts tonight and then we'll be done. Look with me at verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, and he looked up. And saw the rich men casting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw also a certain poor widow casting in thither two mites. Notice with me, number one tonight, his attention to her gift. I love my King James Bible. I don't need a new one. I love this one. And I don't just mean I don't need a new copy of a King James Bible. I've got plenty of Bibles. But I mean, I don't need a different Bible because I love the Bible. Amen. And I love how the Bible says this. And he looked up. Now that's interesting. One of the things you learn when you're a parent is you learn how to depend on peripheral vision. Because most of the time your kids are going to try to get in trouble outside of your sight. 
And it makes you a paranoid individual. You lay in bed at night and you listen for things to go bump in the night. I don't ever think that there's burglars busting in, but I do wonder if my kid's up out of bed playing with Legos. And and, and you just sort of live with your head on a swivel and you learn to look at things out of peripheral vision. And, you know, when we're looking, there's a lot more we can see than what we're focused on primarily. But the Bible does not describe the Lord Jesus as looking off into the distance deep in thought and this woman entering his field of vision. The Bible does not describe him sitting there just casually watching. You know, I like to people watch sometimes. I mean, listen, it's it's one of the greatest sports you can ever engage in. Amen. You see some amazing things when you just start looking and watching people. But the Bible doesn't describe him as people watching. In fact, the Bible says this, that he legitimately and deliberately looked up went out of his way. Something drew his attention. I think it's apparent from the verses following that he was not at all impressed with those uh, rich people that were throwing their gifts into the treasury, but he was interested in what this widow woman was doing. You know what it reminds me? It reminds me of this. Nobody else may notice what we give to the Lord, but God does. Now let me, before I move any further in the preaching, make this statement so you understand what I mean tonight. When I talk about giving, I'm not I'm not only talking about monetary giving, and I would go a step further and say I'm not even primarily talking about monetary giving. If the Holy Ghost makes that application in your heart, well, bless the Lord. But that's not really what my focus is, nor do I really think it's the focus of the Lord Jesus. That's how this woman's gift was manifest in this moment. But in fact, when we give to the Lord, we don't just give finance. If the only thing you're giving to God is money, you're giving pretty cheaply to the Lord. I mean, you understand money ain't even worth nothing anymore. I know we got to have it to live. I understand we need to tithe and give to the Lord out of obedience to the Lord. And I, I know that, you know, we've got to have some of the. I understand all that. But I'm saying this. Uh, money's getting cheaper and cheaper. Time's getting more expensive and more expensive. Testimony has done. Inflation has skyrocketed testimony straight up out of the roof. Because ain't nobody. there. there is, there's a high demand and a low supply of Christian testimony in the world we're living in. And I'm just telling you, if all you're giving to the Lord is treasure and not time, and not talent and not testimony, then you're giving of the four categories the least valuable. And so I'm not suggesting it doesn't apply to it. and You just let the Holy Ghost apply it as he will. But we're talking beyond that. In other words, every time you do something to please the Lord, nobody else may see it, but God sees it. Every time that you go out of your way and sometimes maybe suffer reproach or suffer criticism to maintain a good testimony. Hey, it might be nobody notices, but God always notices. I notice two things just right here. Let me say this. Number one, he's always watching what we give. The Bible says this, that this widow woman was casting in thither two mites. Now, you can disagree with what I'm about to say, and you're welcome to do so if you'd like. But I venture a guess that probably the reason that this detail is recorded and is known is because the Lord Jesus was the one that both drew attention to and repeated this fact. Luke is recording this. You know, the only other person to record it was John Mark. And that tells me this. Two men that weren't there were the ones that recorded this. Somebody paid attention. You can believe who you want to, but I believe it was the Lord Jesus. I believe he was the one that communicated this to his disciples. I believe he was the one that drew the attention to this in the first place. And it's a reminder, he's always watching what we give to him. He knows. He doesn't just know what we give. He knows what we have left over. 
He knows not only what we give, but he's always watching how we give. You know, one of the misunderstandings about this passage, the Marxists would read this and and take a classist message from it and would believe, well, the Lord Jesus, he's down on rich people. Well, you're going to have a problem with that when you get to heaven. You're going to find out he ain't that poor. Amen. I mean, you know, (laughs) the street of the New Jerusalem is paved with gold, you understand. No, listen, he's not down. In fact, the Bible describes the grace of God uh, that though he was rich, yet he became poor, that we through his poverty might be made rich. And so the Marxists would say, well, this is a classist message. These rich men are bad because they're rich. But you're going to have a problem with that. You're going to have to argue with Joseph of Arimathea about that. You're going to have to argue with Nicodemus about that. You're going to have to argue with the Lord Jesus about that. You're going to have to argue with a great many people who God used through the means of their wealth. No, if you think this is a a classist message, you have missed the whole thing altogether. God wasn't offended that rich men were rich. God was simply offended that their giving was so poor. And he points out the fact that he's not just watching what. If it was merely a matter of what, they outgave her ten to one. If it was a matter of what, they by orders of magnitude outgave her. But the whole heartbeat of this passage is not just that he watches what, but that he watches how we give. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs that the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. There's never a thing you've done for God that God hasn't seen and made note of. The question is not, and sometimes I think we worry, at least me and my flesh, I do, and you're probably more spiritual than me and have never worried about this, but sometimes we do things for the Lord and and we wonder, does anybody even notice that I do this? But you see, remember, this whole passage is about our value system. If we value God's opinion above everybody else's, then we'll always be reminded that God always sees. Listen, hey, he's not unrighteous to forget our labor of love. He always notices and he always sees. The reason we get offended and the reason we get upset when we don't have the, the what we perceive to be the proper amount of praise or attention or affirmation about what we do is because we've got our value system messed up. We've begun to value the opinions and the praise of men more than the opinion and praise of God. There's not a single person walking this earth that doesn't like to be appreciated. I'm telling you, you are. You listening? I'm telling you, you are. I'm telling you, even if no one ever on this side of the veil appreciates you, there's a God in heaven that always sees what you do. You may never get the approval or appreciation of the person that you have esteemed so highly in regards to that. Guess what? Someone that's even higher and more esteemed than that person has already taken note if you've done it in the right spirit and in the right way. I see his attention to her gift. Then notice verse number three. You think I'm preaching real fast, but we're going to slow down at point three. All right. But but look what look what verse number three says. The Bible says, and he said of a truth, I say unto you that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. I see not only his attention to her gift, but I see his approval of her gift. He not only noticed it, he was pleased with it. Now, most of us would probably admit that if we got as paltry a gift as that, we would esteem it lower or lesser than other gifts that were given unto us. I like to think that I was a grateful child. I'm generally a stellar human being. 
But I'd be lying if I didn't tell you there were times when you're young, you're growing up, and you know, I mean, I, the the I mean, how are you going to compare, you know, a big wheel with a pack of tube socks? You know, I mean, we're, we're you know, we're we're not we're not idiots, right? You know, I mean, we, there, there is some value system in the world, amen. If you don't believe that, I'll trade you my old beat up pickup truck for whatever you drove in today. So the fact of the matter is, you know, there are certain things we esteem higher than other things. And if it had been you or if it had been me, we might have looked at what this woman gave and thought, well, that's sweet of her, but it's really not that big of a deal. But I want you to notice Christ was not just gracious about this gift. He was pleased with this gift. We've tried to raise our boys such that if you ever got them a bad gift, you'd never know it. I think we ought to raise kids that way. And I'm not going to say they pulled that off flawlessly. <laughs> but we've tried to raise them to have enough character about them that if somebody gives you something, you receive it graciously. You may already have one of those. You may have wanted the one that was red instead of the one that was blue or the one that was green instead of the one that was yellow. But it doesn't matter. Somebody gave something to you. You should be gracious about that. But there's a difference between being gracious and being pleased. And I want you to notice the Lord's not just gracious about this. He's pleased with it. What does that tell us? Well, it tells us two things. Number one, it tells us he approved the gift. What she gave, though it was less than what other men gave, was pleasing to the Lord. Things are going to look a lot different when we get to heaven. I'm just going to tell you. I'm going to tell you, we're going to get to heaven. And there's folks that we think is going to be sitting about one or two rows from the throne that ain't even going to be there. And we're going to get there and there's going to be people we have never heard of. And we're going to crowd around them and look and say, who's that person up there? And they won't have been well known to the world's record books. But heaven took note of it because God was pleased with how they had served him. We have a wrong perspective. I've had to learn this as a pastor in ministry. I've had to learn, listen, this thing in ministry, it's not about what size it is. It's about what sort it is. That's what God's interested in. And I, listen, I'm, I'm not against God blessing our church. I want God to bless our church. I, I want God to give us, you know, fruit for our labors. And, and that includes numerical growth. I'm not against that. But uh, at the end of the day, that's not the priority. The priority of all of it is this, that he approve of what we do for him. The book of Hebrews, Paul prayed this for the believers he was writing to. He said, now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I'm going to be honest with you. It don't matter if nobody else approves. All that matters is that the Lord approves. He approved of the gift, but it tells me this. Not only did he approve of the gift, he, you know, think about how he could have said it. He could have said, of a truth I say unto you that this gift is more than other gifts. But that's not how he said it. He could have said, of a truth I say unto you that this amount, when taking into account God's interest, is a greater amount than any of the rest of you have given. But he didn't. He said that this poor widow hath cast in more than they all. In fact, let me tell you, God is not irrational. And God is not blind and deaf and, and, and dumb to reality. When he says that she's cast in more than they all, he understands that numerically that is not true. So it must spiritually be true. In other words, it was the heart of the giver that made the gift of such value. 
tells me he not only approved the gift, man, he approved the giver. Uh, this is something that I think is hard for people to reckon, especially people that have labored to have means in life. But can I tell you something? God is not impressed with how much talent you give him, how much treasure you give him, how much time you give him, if you don't give it with a willing spirit and a right attitude. We get this idea that God needs us. Let me just disabuse all of us from, from the pulpit on. God don't need any of us. I mean, you understand what God's doing is bigger than me and it's bigger than you. God chooses because he's a gracious God to use us. But he doesn't need any of us. There was a day, in fact, not far removed from this very day when the Lord Jesus was riding into Jerusalem and the disciples began to praise the Lord and the Pharisees were offended at that because Pharisees are offended at people worshiping. I won't say that again. Pharisees are offended at people worshiping. Let me give you two important principles. All right, are you listening? You want to know how to tell somebody's a wolf and how to tell somebody's a Pharisee. You tell they're a wolf by their appetite. You listening? Sheep eat pasture. Wolves eat sheep. If all somebody's interested in doing is chewing on somebody, they're a wolf, not a sheep. And then Pharisees, we determine by their attitude. Are they more offended by what other people are doing for the Lord than they are by what they are not doing for the Lord? The Pharisees, man, they were offended because people started worshiping the Lord, you know. And they said, you ought to quiet this group down. <laughs> I like one time years ago what uh, Mays Jackson said. He was preaching in a meeting and uh, he had been preaching this revival in one of these stuffy churches and formal churches. I don't know why them places ever got people like Brother Mays to come preach for him. But uh, each night of the meeting, there was this woman, she'd get happy and she'd begin to worship and she'd begin to shout. She'd stand up and she'd cry and she'd worship and she'd, she'd, uh, you know, just, just bless the Lord's heart. And, and finally the, uh, deacons gathered around Brother Mays and said, Brother Mays, this, this is a problem. This start, it's starting to make people nervous and everything. And said, next time she does that, you need to set her down. Brother Mays said, I didn't stand her up. <laughs> Said, if I didn't stand her up, I ain't going to set her down. The Lord can set her down, but I'm not going to. And they said, set these people down. And Jesus said this, if I should, these should hold their silence, the rocks and the trees would begin to cry out. Said, you're upset that I'm getting praised, but me quieting these people ain't going to stop the praise. I'm going to get my glory no matter what. And I will tell you this, hey, God, God is going to get what's his no matter what. We are privileged to be used of the Lord in that capacity. Book of Colossians describes how that we ought to give to the Lord. Again, not just financially, but with our time and our talent and our testimony. It says, servants, obey in all things your masters according to the flesh. Not with eye service as men pleasers, but in singleness of heart, fearing God. And whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men, knowing that of the Lord ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance, for ye serve the Lord Christ. Now, you're talking about people that were in a hard situation. And the Apostle Paul writes to him and says, you know, how to make a hard situation a holy situation is recognize that a holy God puts you in that situation. And don't view it as service to those that despise you. View it as service to those that love you and to him that loves you above and beyond anyone else. You serve the Lord Christ. If you can content yourself to live a life of service unto him, then you have fundamentally transcended the chains this world can put upon you. 
I've heard people say sometimes they'll criticize the Bible. They'll say, well, the Bible wasn't strong enough condemning slavery and things like that. And, you know, which is a misguided notion. Slavery in the Old Testament isn't like slavery that has existed in other places in human history. New Testament, uh, much of Roman slavery was like much of the slavery that we are familiar with. And you say, well, preacher, you know, the Apostle Paul should have told them what? Gather together and agitate and throw off their chains and have a slave revolt? Yeah, and have Rome stomp them into the ground. So here's what Paul said instead. He said, listen, I, I can't make them unlock your chains, but I can help you to take your chains off nonetheless. I can't stop them from putting those chains on you, but I can make it so those chains are light as a feather. How? When you serve, serve the Lord Christ. Can I tell you, anything we do for God, it becomes happy when we do it for God. Anything we do for God, it becomes pleasant when we do it for God. Anything we're doing for God that we're not doing for God is not happy, is not pleasant, is not joyful. You want to be a miserable person? Serve God for others and you'll be miserable. But if you'll learn to serve him for him, you'll find it's a joyful life. I see his approval of her gift. And then finally, I just want to make a few statements here. I said it was going to take a long time, but let's just see if you got nervous. Look at verse 4. Notice his final thought. For all these have of their abundance cast in under the offerings of God. But she of her penury hath cast in all the living that she had. You see, Jesus gets down to the real issue here and describes why what she gave is more. And how she gave plenty out of her poverty. Why is that? I want you to think about three thoughts tonight. And then we'll be done with the introduction. And no, I'm just joking. Why was, why, how? How did she give more than they gave? Objectively, it didn't look like that. Financially, it didn't look like that. In fact, if you and I were sitting there, you'd laugh at that notion. So what did the Lord mean? Well, I think for three reasons. I think, number one, uh, her gift was more because it was born of devotion. I don't know if you notice this. But the Bible does not say he looked up and saw the rich men casting in their tithes. The Bible says casting in their gifts. In fact, when they gave their tithes, they wouldn't give them in this fashion. Just passing by the 11 different, uh, you know, uh, the uh, receptacles that they had to receive the tithes that were the, the offerings that were there at the temple. There were other means through which they paid their tithes. But these receptacles that were set up were meant for free will gifts and offerings to be given unto the Lord. Some people would look at it and would say, well, preacher, she's not given everything that she should. Well, two things. Number one, she's tithing 100 percent. Let me tell you something as your pastor. If you tithe 100%, I don't care how much it is. I'm going to be impressed. All right? I ain't money-minded, but if you tithe 100%, I'll eat my hat. You all right? Don't weird up on me. We talked about that Sunday night. She's tithing 100% if she's tithing, but I would go a step further and say she's not tithing. In fact, they would give these gifts. These were not tithes, but rather gifts. And the amount given was meant to be a commentary on the giver's valuation of the worship and service of the Lord. This was set up in the Old Testament. It was not actually an original part of the prescription of, of Old Testament law. But as the work of God increased and as the facilities increased, 
Men sought for a way that might, they might give unto the Lord. It was actually during one of the renovations in the Old Testament of the temple after it had lain dormant for a long time. They set a treasure box and men would come by and they'd give into that a gift, a free will offering to the Lord. And that's what this woman is doing. She's not giving her tithes. She's giving to the Lord. And men that gave into those treasuries, what it was supposed to symbolize was this is how much we think the Lord and His work is worth. When they originally did this in the renovation of the temple, that's transparently true. They were saying, well, we think fixing the temple is worth X amount. And when they give it into the gift, it was a commentary on what they thought of the worship and service of the Lord. Now think with me for a moment. She gave all the living that she had. You know why? Because she felt God was worthy of all the living that she had. You know why she gave more, relatively speaking? Because she felt like God was worth more than they felt like God was worth. You know why we don't give more time to God? We don't think he's worth any more time than we give him. I got more preaching to do, but let's just let that sit for a second. You know, you know why we don't give him more of our talents? We don't think he's worth more of our talents. You know why we don't give him more of our treasure? And I just want you to mind and be obedient to the Lord. We had a business meeting Sunday night. We're rolling money into the building fund. We ain't hurting. We ain't floating no checks. You understand that. But you know why we don't give him more? We don't think he's worth more. You say, but preacher, I can't, I can't, I can't. If ever there was a person that could have said, I can't, I believe it would be this woman right here. She couldn't, but she did. You'd be amazed. You know, God's in the business of helping you do things you can't do. Here's the question. Do we treat the Lord like he's a leftover God? Warmed over, unimportant and insignificant. This was one of the problems, by the way. It subsisted after they came back from their exile in the Old Testament. Because the Bible says this in the book of Malachi, chapter 1, verse 6. A son honoreth his father. And a servant is master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name. And you say, wherein have we despised thy name? You offer polluted bread upon mine altar. And ye say, wherein have we polluted thee? In that you say, the table of the Lord is contemptible. You see, what we do for the Lord is a commentary on how devoted we are to the Lord. I understand not everybody can do the same amount. This passage perfectly illustrates that. She would have given more if she had more, but she gave all she could. She, like Mary in the Old Testament, had or in the New Testament, had done what she could. In the Old Testament, God is condemning those that say they're giving it all when they're not giving it all. He says, and if you offer the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And if you offer the lame and sick, is it not evil? Offer it now unto thy governor. Will he be pleased with thee or accept thy person, saith the Lord of hosts? Speaking of the table of the Lord, verse 12, the prophet says, But you have profaned it, in that you say the table of the Lord is polluted, and the fruit thereof, even as meat, is contemptible. He also said, Behold, what a weariness is it, and you have snuffed at it, saith the Lord of hosts, and you brought that which was torn, and the lame, and the sick. Thus you brought an offering. Should I accept this of your hand, saith the Lord. Now listen to this strong language, but cursed, cursed be the deceiver, which hath in his flock a male and voweth and sacrificeth unto the Lord a corrupt thing. In other words, said, Preacher, why, why was this woman's offering more? Because it was everything. And it was everything because he was everything to her. I, I see that it was more because it was born of devotion. Let me say number two, it was more because it was born of deficiency. 
The Lord goes out of his way to say that she, out of her penury, Mark's account says out of her poverty, out of her want. In other words, it mattered to God how much she had, just as much as it mattered to God how much she gave. You see, her poverty, rather than hindering, it actually enhanced her gift. She was not giving out of her entertainment or vacation budget. She wasn't giving her leftovers. She gave, Mark says, of her want. In other words, what she gave, she missed. You listening to me? You see, we think what we do for the Lord should have to fit within our current regularly scheduled programming. We think what we give to the Lord should have to fit within the parameters of uh, of our discretionary spending. We think what we do for the Lord in terms of testimony should have to fit within the framework of the status quo of our social life and our social standing. But the fact of the matter is, we're really not even giving until those things begin to be accosted and those things begin to be affected. She gave, you say, preacher, she gave money. Yeah, she gave money, but what she really gave was of her want. Whether it is treasure, time, talent, or testimony, our lacking in whichever area doesn't hinder us from giving to the Lord. Rather, it makes all the more precious what we do give to Him. Preacher, you don't understand. I can't do what other people can do. No, but you can do something for God. Preacher, you don't understand. I can't give what they give. Well, that might not be a hindrance. That might be a help. To your service for the Lord. I mean, you understand these people were throwing things away. They're never going to miss. That's why they were willing to do it. That's what's crippling Christianity is we're only willing to uh, apportion to God things that we don't need and aren't using anyway. And then we wonder why it has no effect in our lives. I, I would say this. I'd say it was it was born of deficiency. And that's part of the reason it was more. And then finally, I would say this, it was more because it was born of dependence. Mark says that she gave all that she had, even all her living. Luke says that she cast in all the living that she had. It's apparent that she was giving the very last of her resources. It's funny, we treat God as though he is not abundant in his means and resources. And we think God cruel when he asks of us something that we will feel deeply a loss because we imagine to ourselves that God lacks the ability to restore that matter in the first place. Listen, go ahead and live for God. If you lose your job over it, he'll give you another one. Go, listen, go ahead and go ahead and serve the Lord. You say, well, preacher, I might burn out. I'd rather do that than fade away or rust out. And God will give you the strength. Preacher, you don't understand. If I'm obedient to the Lord and giving unto Him, then we're going to struggle. You might be surprised. I found this to be true. God's going to get what His. And I've throughout the years, I've paid tithes in some strange places. You listening? I've paid it at the local church. I've also paid it at the mechanic. I've paid it at the doctor. I've paid tithes in all kinds of places. I've paid it to the utility company. I've paid it to the appliance repair man. I've paid it to the Home Depot. <laughs> I've paid tithes and all kinds. But you say, preacher, what are you getting at? I'm saying this. There's no more efficient. I like how Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5. He talks about the things that are displeasing to the Lord. And here's what he says about them, which are not convenient. You see, when we recognize God for who he is, we have a different appreciation of the term convenience. You know what's inconvenient? Living for self. You know what's inconvenient? Robbing God. 
You know what's inconvenient? Being lazy on the Lord. All those things are inconvenient. There's no more convenient way to live than 100% sold out to Him. He said, Preacher, God would never ask me to give such that I would be lacking. I'd be surprised if He, if he was content with you giving in some way that wasn't that way. And again, you say, well, preacher, God would never ask me to risk my job having a testimony. I'd be as surprised if you could have a testimony and not risk your job in the world we're living in. Preacher, you don't understand. God would never ask me to serve him in some capacity that I'm ill-equipped for. I don't know why in the world he'd have you serve him in some capacity you are naturally equipped for. It doesn't make sense. This is what I'm talking about. Christ says, you misunderstand me because you misunderstand God. And you've misunderstood this woman because you misunderstand God. You don't understand how his economy works. The fact is, it wouldn't be unthinkable. It would be entirely scripturally appropriate for God to call on us in ways that would cause us to feel deeply our want and our need of him. She gave, it's apparent, the very last of her resources. And that then begs a question, right? What would she live on? On faith. She wasn't giving based on abundance or on convenience. She was giving based on dependence. Consecrated surrender will always involve sacrifice and dependence. Living for God will always require leaning on God. If we're, if we don't have to lean on God to do what we're doing for Him, we're not really living for Him yet. If we don't need Him to do what we're doing for Him, we're not really living for Him yet. You see, not until we reach the place that we have to have Him. Are we really going to enjoy his presence? This gets back to what I was talking about earlier in the message. Preacher, so much that Bible's just not relevant. That's probably true. If, if all you have is superficial, so, surface cultural Christianity, then yeah, there's a lot of this that ain't going to make sense to you. But when you start digging deep and living for Christ, this book will come alive to you because it will begin to speak to your very circumstances day by day. We walk by faith, not by sight. And yet we get bent out of shape if our Christianity ever moves outside of the realm of sight walking. We get upset if we're ever called on to live by faith. Preacher, God's failed me. No, listen, you ain't even far enough into this thing to decide whether God's failed you yet. He's faithful. You don't have to worry about him. Worry about you. Don't worry about him. He's always been faithful. And this woman, when she gave, it was an act of dependence upon him. And that fundamentally is what everything we do for God is. It is a vessel, it is a channel, it is a conduit through which to lean more deeply into and on him. Everything he calls you to do, it's about you leaning into and on him in a deeper way. That's why she gave more. Because her giving got to the heart of what giving's about. Giving's not that God is running a big Ponzi scheme and he's got to get your funds so he can pay back the other investors. God has everything he needs, not just in terms of treasure, but in terms of time and of talent. You know we're talking about God, right? And we just ain't, we ain't just talking about your favorite politician, right? We're talking about God. He has everything. And so why would he ask for anything? Well, because it's not really him that needs it. But rather, it's you and I that need to give unto him. I was talking to Brother Ted at the hospital. I'll share this with you in the end. I was talking to Brother Ted at the hospital yesterday. And Brother Ted always wants to start telling stories about things God's done. 
he always wants to immediately start talking about things where God's provided and, and things that God's done. And I, some of y'all was in Senior Saints the other day, may have remembered him talking about this guy giving him a pair of shoes. And uh, he had been praying and asking God to give him a pair of shoes. And God gave him a pair of shoes, size 10. Now, Ted's pinky toe couldn't fit in a pair of size 10 shoes. And he wondered why God had given those to him. And he was talking the other day about being at a uh, at a grocery store and the young boy that was loading things into the car. Uh, he began to talk to him and witness to him and ask him if he knew the Lord. At the end of their conversation, he asked this young man, he looked down at his feet and he said, about what size shoe do you have on? He said, I wear a size nine and a half. And Ted said, well, you can grow into these and gave him those size tens. And we just started talking about ways that God had provided. And I made this comment to him, and it's stuck with me. The thought has since then. Ted and Sue are not people of means. None of us really are when you really talk about this world's scale. We don't even know what, like, money is. <laughs> None of us are people of means. But, you know, that doesn't mean that we don't have more than what the means of this world can provide. Here's a thought that occurred to me. Some men have plenty of means, but a poverty of miracles. And others have a poverty of means, but plenty of miracles. I can tell you in my life, had it not been for God having to come through, there would have been a lot of times I would have never seen or at least never noticed him coming through. And it's easy to begrudge the Lord and say, well, now, Lord, how come these people, they're not living for you and they never have to worry about how to pay a bill? Or these people, they're not living for you and they don't have to worry about bad health. Or, or, or you know, Lord, these people, they're, they're not living for you and their kids is okay. And, and why am I going through all this? But the truth is, if you didn't have all those problems, you probably wouldn't have all those miracles to rejoice in. You see, here's fundamentally the question in our lives. Sometimes it's a question of means or miracles. And which will we choose? We can begrudge the Lord and get angry and bitter and, and, and gnarled up because we don't have what somebody else has. Or we can, like this little widow woman, say, I'm going to take everything I got. If it's two mites or two million, I'm going to take it and I'm going to give it all to God. A hundred percent, it's going to be his. He's going to use it as he sees fit. And we'll find that if we'll give all that we have to him, we get to the heart of what giving really is. But beyond that, we get something back far greater than what we ever gave to him. Let's bow together tonight as a musician comes to play. I just want you to mind the Lord. I preached on a lot of different things tonight, and I appreciate your patience. What I want you to do is mind the Lord. If what you do pleases the Lord in regards to your response to this message, that's enough. If he's pleased with you sitting there, by all means, if he wants you down here talking to him, you ought to seek to please him. Don't worry about pleasing me or anybody else in this room. I want you to please him tonight. Father, bless this invitation. May it glorify the Lord Jesus. I ask it in his name.